Hello friends, welcome to the Functional Nurse Practitioner Podcast. I'm a board-certified family nurse practitioner who specializes in women's health, utilizing both conventional and functional medicine strategies in order to provide a more comprehensive approach for optimal health. The current model of care in healthcare is very lacking, which led me down the road of functional medicine. Functional medicine is a systems biology approach which looks at uncovering the root cause for the symptoms we're having in order to allow for healing versus simply applying a Band-Aid to the situation. I believe we need an integrative approach of both conventional and functional medicine in order to provide the best care possible. I've been incorporating functional medicine practices within my gynecology practice and have seen phenomenal results. I believe we need to level up our healthcare system so women, all my ladies out there, can actually feel better. Just a quick disclaimer that this podcast is meant for educational purposes only and is not meant to diagnose or be a substitute for medical advice from your practitioner. Also, if you like what you hear on this show, I would be real appreciative if you would leave a review on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you're listening from and subscribe to the show. Okay, on to today's episode. Today, we're going to do a deep dive into Hashimoto's autoimmune disease. What exactly is this condition? What are some of the risk factors for developing this autoimmune condition? Are there specific causes for it? What are some signs and symptoms? What are the complications of this condition? And finally, we will talk about the management of Hashimoto's autoimmune disease. This is going to be a doozy of an episode today. This is a topic I am very passionate about as I was diagnosed with this autoimmune disease at the beginning of this year. This is a topic we need to discuss and it needs to be in the forefront of our brains as it is very common. Hashimoto's disease is an autoimmune condition that is organ specific. Autoimmune conditions can be either systemic, like let's say lupus, where we attack our own DNA, or organ-specific, like Hashimoto's, where our immune system launches an attack on our thyroid. Autoimmunity, simply put, occurs when our immune system targets our own self-tissue as foreign. There are many reasons why this happens, and we will discuss some of the possibilities today, Think about what our immune system does. It protects us, right? It protects us against foreign invaders, pathogens, viruses. If we fall down and skin our knee, our immune system sends in its troops, the cells, to the site of injury, causing inflammation. This inflammation will help keep out bacteria and viruses as our body then starts the repair process. Our immune system is very complex and frankly, freaking awesome, as its job is to protect us. Part of our immune system cells are antigen-presenting cells, or APCs, which are in charge of scouting the area and deciding, is this friend or foe? Examples of APCs include dendritic cells, B cells, macrophages, and Landerhans. With Hashimoto's, typically it's the dendritic cells, and these cells have long gangly arms. I like to think of it kind of like branches on a tree, Um, and they're the first in line to sample what is brought into our bodies from the environment. I can't talk about dendritic cells without mentioning Erin Holt, a fellow podcaster. She is a functional nutritionist. She's actually the functional nutritionist. She spells it with a K. Her website and podcast platform are phenomenal. She's got numerous episodes on autoimmunity, really brilliant stuff. I love how she explains dendritic cells, particularly in the gut, and how they reach into the material brought into the body and sample everything. The way that she described these cells really resonated with me. I will link her up in the show notes for you guys. If you haven't listened to any of her shows, I highly recommend that you do. Love, love, love her. Anyway, these cells 
located in the, in the front lines of our body, like the skin, intestines, stomach, nose, and lungs. So these dendritic cells sample foreign material. These foreign materials are also called antigens. Antigens are anything that the body considers foreign or not us, so not ourselves. Foods, bacteria, viruses, all foreign substances, they may be deemed antigens by our immune system, which then the dendritic cell flags those cells and presents them. Remember, they're antigen-presenting cells, so they present, present them to the T cells, which are found on the cell surface. This then initiates the adaptive immune response. Our B cells then create antibodies. Antibodies are immunoglobulins. They're these Y-shaped proteins that fit kind of like a lock and key to the specific antigen and bind to that antigen. This in turn tags it for the immune system. It isn't the antibodies themselves that cause destruction. It is the immune system's response to that antibody that causes problems with autoimmunity. For the thyroid specifically, the antibodies in question are TPO and antithyroglobulin. When our B cells create these antibodies, our lymphocytes then seek out these tagged cells for destruction. Unfortunately, the antigen in question is our own thyroid tissue. Autoimmune thyroid disease occurs when our own immune system gets confused or tripped up. This is also called loss of immune tolerance. With Hashimoto's disease, this causes an infiltration of the thyroid by both the B and T cells. The T cells induce apoptosis or cell death of thyroid follicular cells, ultimately leading to thyroid gland destruction due to progressive fibrosis. I know that this just got super heavy, so let's turn our attention to risk factors for Hashimoto's disease. Women are at a much greater risk for Hashimoto's disease. Honestly, we're at a greater risk for all autoimmune conditions. It's estimated that women have a 5 to 10 times greater incidence of Hashimoto's than men. The most common age of uncovering this condition is between 45 and 65 years of age. I have my own thoughts about this. Oftentimes in healthcare, we are not swimming upstream. We're not looking for the root cause or causes of a condition. So we're not testing people to see if they have an autoimmune condition like Hashimoto's, even though it is the number one reason why somebody has hypothyroidism. I did a whole show on hypothyroidism. I will refer you to episode two, where I go really in depth about this condition. So if we're not checking people to see if they have an autoimmune condition, then how do we know more people don't have this autoimmune condition? So if it's not found until somebody's 45 or 65 years of age, is it because nobody looked for it sooner? I can tell you in my practice, I do a lot of blood work and I have tested roughly 50 women who have had the diagnosis of hypothyroidism, some of them since they were kids and no one has ever checked antibodies. Only two of them do not have Hashimoto's disease. So is it possible, again, that we are just simply not looking for the cause? And that's why, you know, somebody doesn't get the diagnosis. I do think that plays a large role with autoimmunity and not just with Hashimoto's disease. They say it takes on average at least four years, maybe even up to a decade for somebody to get that diagnosis of an autoimmune disease. And maybe they're going to the doctor, 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 like lots of doctors. And, um, and people are telling them that, um, they're just stressed out. They need to get more sleep. They're just that they're, you know, they're tired, that they don't have anything wrong with them. And maybe it's all in their head. That really, really, really ramps me up because I was told it was all in my head earlier this year. And frankly, it wasn't all in my head. 
Needless to say, I didn't go back to that doctor for a follow-up appointment. Other things that could play a role are xenobiotics. Xenobiotics are chemicals that can do damage to our body. Just to put it simply, I did go very in-depth and you guys loved the xenobiotics episode. It's episode three. In case you missed that, definitely give it a listen. But I do feel that this can play a great role, maybe with triggering autoimmunity, because it isn't just the genetics, it's also the environment, probably more so the environment, but usually there's some type of a triggering event. And it could be a virus that you had. It could be a stressful event. It could be exposure to these xenobiotics. So again, the more you know, that's um, one of my favorite things to say. Some other risk factors, other autoimmune conditions. There is a strong correlation between celiac and Hashi's. Typically, if somebody has celiac, I am going to test them for Hashi's. And I'm trying to think of anybody that I've tested I think everyone that I've tested, they did, they actually do have Hashimoto's disease. And yeah, they're mad because nobody checked them for that before. They also had the diagnosis of hypothyroidism that nobody checked. But it can go the other way also. So if somebody has Hashimoto's, they might have celiac or they might have lupus. It it is something to think about when it comes to autoimmunity because they say that it's like a cascade effect. So burdens on the body over time, the genetics for it, and then the environmental factors and a trigger, and then the door to autoimmunity opens. And once that door is open, it could leave us susceptible to other autoimmune issues. And I'm not saying this to be to, to scare you. I'm saying it so that you have the, the knowledge, so that you have the information to advocate for yourself. Because if I see anything the most in my practice, it's that my patients, these women, these wonderful women, they're not being taken seriously and they don't feel good and they don't know why. And then they end up feeling like they're crazy. I can't tell you how many women tell me that they, it must just be them. They're just too anxious that, that there's something wrong with them. And I feel very, very blessed to be able to work with the patients that I have to show them they're not crazy. It's not just in their head and something else is going on. And maybe they don't have another autoimmune condition, but why don't we lower the chances of developing autoimmunity by reducing our stress and having somebody actually listen? At least that's my opinion on the situation. Another risk factor, pregnancy. Pregnancy? Why is this? Well, our immune system, as you can imagine, goes through massive changes during pregnancy. We are, after all, growing a life inside of our bodies. And so our immune system, we need to decrease the usual foreign invader scrutiny. So typically, it's after pregnancy, in the postpartum phase, that autoimmunity may pop up. Once our body goes back to its usual scanning for foreign invaders, it may get tripped up. Now, this doesn't mean we shouldn't have babies. It's just something to think about. If you got that diagnosis of hypothyroidism while you were pregnant, let's say, or right after pregnancy and something just didn't feel right with you, ask your provider to check antibodies. Genetics. Family history. Obviously, this plays a very important role. If you have family history of thyroid disorders, if you have family history of autoimmunity, you're at a much greater risk for autoimmunity. I was diagnosed, as I mentioned earlier, with Hashimoto's disease this year. I was the one that ran the test and and found the antibodies when they told me I had cancer. I'm not going to get too far into that. I did talk about that in, in previous episodes just for the sake of time today. I have a very strong family history of autoimmunity. My dad had lupus. And then um, again, that's where you attack your own DNA. He also had vasculitis. And the vasculitis that he had was attacking his small blood vessels and ultimately led to kidney failure. 
it's very frightening when I think about this. It, it actually chokes me up because he's no longer with us. We didn't know enough back then. We know a lot more now. So I'm very, very, very passionate about spreading this word and getting more awareness so that we can put ourselves on a better trajectory. So I have this marker for vasculitis and I have antibodies. The marker that I have is the same that my dad had. So it is the small blood vessels usually involving the kidney. So I saw an endocrinologist earlier this year for my thyroid issues and <laughs> she asked me some questions about other things like family history and if I have joint pain, which I do, it's much better that I don't eat gluten, but sometimes I still have it. And she said, well, you're just plagued with autoimmunity and I'm just going to refer, refer, refer. She's like, I'm going to refer you everywhere. I'm like, well, any thoughts on like how I can change the course I'm on so I don't end up with full-blown autoimmune disease. And she didn't have any thoughts. Another um, physician I did not schedule a follow-up with. Don't get me wrong. I'm not against conventional medicine. I'm I'm, I am, goodness, I can't, I cannot talk today. I am against the mindset of not trying to figure things out. That's what I'm against. Okay. I talked to a rheumatologist because of this vasculitis marker. I'd also ran a, a full inflammatory panel on myself, which included extensive stool analysis. And I don't have inflammation, which is a good thing. So she told me, as soon as I get inflammation, she'll give me chemo. Well, <laughs> I don't think that sounds like something I want to wait around for. I want to be proactive. I do feel like this is like my mission in life. Um, If you can hear the passion in my voice, it's because I'm right there with you. Yes, I'm a nurse practitioner. Yes, I have many patients that I work with. I am also a patient. And I am also somebody that was not cared for appropriately. And I want to change things. Another risk factor is too much iodine. It used to be that we would give iodine to those with hypothyroidism, but then we realized it can actually perpetuate the autoimmune disease. I am a very big fan of testing before supplementation. If somebody is truly deficient in iodine, yes, Maybe supplementation is a good idea, but I do not think supplements are the be-all and end-all. There is a lot, lot of controversy surrounding supplementation. It's easy. You can actually buy a multivitamin that has thyroid hormones in it. Like thyroid hormones, you shouldn't be taking thyroid hormones without somebody monitoring your levels. Because if you're taking this and you don't have hypothyroidism... You can actually cause hypothyroidism by taking hormones. So supplements can be beneficial. I think that they're a useful like tool, like an added tool. But the most important part is figuring out what the root causes are and working on those and looking at our lifestyle and diet and how all of these things play a role because these are the things that are going to impact a disease process way faster, way better than any drug or any supplement. Next on the list would be microbial infections. Yersinia, H. pylori, rickettsia, Bartonella, Clostridium, influenza, herpes virus, just to name a few, are linked with the development of Hashimoto's disease. Like we mentioned earlier, an infection could be a trigger this list is not exhaustive. So maybe you had mononucleosis and then you developed an autoimmune condition. I will say when I am mapping the timeline on a patient and we are working on when did you first get the symptoms related to an autoimmune condition, whether it was Hashimoto's disease, alopecia, colitis, whatever's going on, what happened around that time? And usually there is something going on. It could be a toxin exposure like mold 
or um, high levels of mercury. It could be you drink a lot of water out of plastic bottles and your BPA might be very high. Again, I'm not trying to scare us to where we need to live in a bubble, but we need awareness. We need more awareness and ways of actually trying to put something in remission or reverse the condition to begin with. Stress. As you can imagine, stress is a risk factor for all diseases. All chronic diseases, autoimmune diseases, cancer. I don't know about you, but I feel we all could use stress reduction techniques. This was the last thing that I did. I wish it would have been the first thing that I had done because not only is it free, which is great, it works. It works really well. I mean, first of all, not only can you start to have a better mindset so you feel better, but it actually calms the body down and doesn't have us on high alert where our cortisol's jacked up and we're really deep in the sympathetic nervous system, which could definitely worsen a disease process or cause a disease. I have lots of other theories for risks of developing Hashimoto's disease. One is molecular mimicry. There is a lot of new research on this. I have lots of fun links in the show notes for those of you that want to dive deeper. The term molecular mimicry refers to the process where foreign substances, either chemical, infection, or even food-related, induces autoimmunity. If there's a similarity between self and a foreign substance, and our immune system perpetuates the antigen and antibody response, that's starting an autoimmune process. This seems like a perfect segue into the relationship between the thyroid and gluten. So let's first talk about what exactly is gluten. Probably lots of people would say it is delicious. It does give that wonderful texture to foods like breads and pastas. Gluten is a protein. It's one of the proteins found in wheat. So foods like semolina, spelt, wheat berries, farro, etc., have gluten. It gives these wheat products structure, elasticity, shape. Think of it like a glue. In the digestive system, our body breaks down gluten into the peptides gliadin and glutenin. Gliadin accounts for roughly 70%, so gluten 30. Gliadin looks very much like transglutaminase. Transglutaminase is a key enzyme necessary for making chemical bonds, and it just so happens to be an enzyme that is in great abundance in the thyroid gland. It is in many other organs as well, but in great abundance in the thyroid gland. Through digestion, these gliadins cause the lining of our intestines, which should be one cell thick, to have permeability meaning that gaps are formed, causing leaky gut. And these gaps then allow larger proteins to get through. So these gliadins then cross the intestinal barrier. Our immune system knows that these proteins should not be in our circulatory system. And then they launch an attack on those invaders. Our body then creates antibodies, which bind to gliadin. And remember, Gliadin looks very much like transglutaminase. So when our immune system sends out the troops, they mistakenly target the thyroid. It's been suggested that this immune system response can continue for more than six months, even up to eight months post-gluten exposure. So if you go gluten-free, you could still be having these issues for months. I would argue with anyone, if anybody wants to, um, that no one should eat gluten. This is a bold statement. I don't think gluten benefits anyone. It's highly inflammatory. 
the research is there. It shows that it starts the inflammatory process, whether you have celiac, Hashimoto's, gluten sensitivity or not. I don't want inflammation in my body anywhere. Inflammation is a driver of chronic disease, cancer, Alzheimer's. I want to have as little inflammation as possible. That doesn't mean we should run out and buy a bunch of gluten-free products either. A lot of these gluten-free products, I don't want to get too far in the weeds on this because I can definitely get in a rabbit hole with this. A lot of these gluten-free products are so processed. Actually, yes, all gluten-free products are processed, okay? You can eat an apple, it's gluten-free. That's not processed, but I'm talking about something you buy in a bag or a box. Yes, it's going to be highly processed, which usually causes inflammation anyway. So I think if you're gluten-free, more of a whole foods approach or make your own snacks instead of buying them in bags or boxes. And maybe I will do a whole episode just on gluten-free. I know I, again, I could talk about that all day. So moving on, this is really the gist of the concept of molecular mimicry. It could be a virus or a toxin and not a food that sets it off. So remember that there is a lot of very interesting research actually showing that Epstein-Barr virus could be a trigger for multiple sclerosis. There's a lot of really interesting science-backed information on that. So what is that telling us? We need to pay more attention to viruses that we've had and testing for viruses or infections. Do we still have an inflammatory process going on in our body that was caused, maybe we got Lyme disease two years ago, but we still have something going on and people have, we've went to providers and they're like, you're fine. Everything is normal, but you don't feel normal. So it's something to think about. Let's talk about what you should know if you're diagnosed with Hashimoto's disease. I mentioned earlier testing for other autoimmune disorders like celiac, because there is a strong correlation. One of the ways that I think of an autoimmune cascade is to think of the game Jenga. I'm pretty sure everybody knows what Jenga is or has played it one time or another. So you're stacking all of these pieces, right? And it kind of looks haphazardly, right? But you're stressing it, right? You're stacking one on top of another, one, 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 right? And then eventually you place one on and the whole thing falls. So is it the last piece that you put on that made it fall? Or is it the compilation of all of the pieces together that led to it falling? It's all of them. That's kind of how I look at autoimmunity. It may not be, I got Lyme disease, so I got alopecia afterwards. But what was going on in your life leading up to the point that you got Lyme disease? Did you have stress? Did you have poor sleep? What was your diet like? Were you exercising? Did you have support, family support? Did you have isolation? Did you have exposure to toxins? All of these things matter. In functional medicine, we like to say all things matter because they do. And it takes a very comprehensive approach and looking at everything sometimes to be able to figure out what's going on and swim upstream, reverse engineer it to reverse your condition because conditions can be reversed, most of them. With autoimmunity, once it's turned on, we can't erase that, at least not yet, not in anything that I've seen, but we can put it into remission. We can improve, improve ourselves, get on a different road. That's the road that I want to be on is the one that doesn't have the autoimmunity. That's where I'm at in my life right now. What do I need to do to not turn on that vasculitis so I have a full-blown autoimmune disease that may not only greatly affect my quality of life, but end my life. 
I'm going to do everything possible to be on a better road. There's also important vitamins and minerals crucial for thyroid function. Vitamin D, vitamin A, C, zinc, iron. We talked about iodine. Again, I'm going to refer you to episode two on hypothyroidism because I go in depth with the different aspects of having hypothyroidism that includes foods, vitamins, minerals. Definitely give it a listen. I believe we need a reduction of inflammatory foods like sugar, processed foods. I'm sorry to be the bearer of this news. Uh, You know what? About five years ago, I might have turned this podcast off or I probably wouldn't have even been listening to it because I wanted to just keep eating my delicious sugary foods and drinking soda because I thought I had hypoglycemia and I needed to eat sugar every two hours. I didn't realize my hypoglycemia was caused from eating so much sugar. I had splitting headaches, acne, horrible periods, horrible, heavy, painful periods. And I was told for most of my life, it's just because I'm a girl and there's nothing that I can do about it. Well, folks, I stopped eating sugar. Well, if you listen to my sugar podcast, (laughs) episode five was, was, was a really good one. I did fall off the wagon and I talk about it there because then I felt like shit. So nobody is perfect, but anything that we can do to reduce our sugar intake and avoid it is going to be helpful. Along those same lines, we need to drastically reduce endocrine disrupting chemicals. There's way too many to list here, but things like phthalates, BPAs, pesticides like glyphosate are just some of them. Go back to episode three on xenobiotics if you want to give that a listen to learn more. I highly recommend listening to it, diving into the research. It is frightening, okay? It was frightening for me to do the research on that because I didn't even realize just how much exposure I still have. But then you know what? I'm glad. I'm glad that I got frightened. I'm glad that I have more information now. Because again, I'm on a different road. I feel so much better physically, mentally, emotionally than I did in the beginning of this year, or for that matter, for most of my life. And I'm on a better pathway to reduce my full-blown autoimmune disease or developing anything else. So yeah, again, the more you know. Medications matter. If you have hypothyroidism, you are probably on a thyroid replacement medication. I'm not going to go too far into it because I've talked about it before, but I did want to point out that one of the most common, it is the most common medication for somebody to take that has hypothyroidism, and that's levothyroxine. It is the generic for the brand name Synthroid. They're both T4 medications. Levothyroxine, except for, I think there's two different generic brands that don't have gluten, but the rest of them do. So I don't want anything to do with levothyroxine because of the gluten. Yeah, I had somebody say to me, (laughs) I had somebody say to me in the past, well, how much gluten could possibly be in there? You know what? If I'm not eating bread, I'm not going to get gluten from a medication. So I don't want anything having gluten or the risk of gluten. So I would stay away from levothyroxine and go with the brand name or the pig thyroid, like Armor Thyroid, Nature Thyroid, MP Thyroid, or a combination of Synthroid and a T3 medication like Cytomel. I do have some women that are doing really well on that. I myself haven't tried Cytomel, and I'm thinking I may try it because it is... (laughs) It is a journey when you don't have a thyroid. It's hard to get regulated. I will get regulated. I definitely believe that things with that will get better. It's just finding the right combination. We are all different. So yeah, levothyroxine is the gold standard. Should everybody take it? No, definitely. If you have celiac, you shouldn't take it. If you have Hashimoto's, you shouldn't take it. You might not have either one of those things and have no issue with gluten that you know of, but levothyroxine, you don't feel good. Like you, you have all of this weight you're not able to lose or brain fog or you're constipated. So 
it really matters who you're working with that will prioritize you and not just what your blood work says, but you and your concerns that you have for your body. There's also optimal lab values, and that really matters. I have a very extensive thyroid panel. I had my my thyroid surgeon said to me, I've never ran most of those tests. I'm like, well, you should, you should start. And he did say he was going to, he was going to start. So that's a plus. Um, but I have an extensive panel just to see like exactly where are we at with our T3, the active form of thyroid. Do we need to bring our levels as, as close, like tighter. So if it's 0.4 to 4.5 for the TSH level, again, that's the, the, the brain, the pituitary thyroid stimulating hormone. Do we need to bring that level closer to one for you to feel better? Well, if you feel better at one, then yeah, we should bring it closer to one and not just say, oh, it's 4.5. You're good. And then you're telling your provider, I, I still don't feel good. And they're like, well, you're normal. Your labs are normal. I absolutely hate that. Like, what's optimal? I want to be optimal. I don't want to just be normal. Okay, I want to be normal. But <sighs> yes, um, I do. I get fired up. So Hashimoto's can also start out as hyperthyroidism. So that's an overactive thyroid. This is why I'm a fan of checking antibodies and not just once. First of all, there's an antibody range. And if it's below the normal range, you're good. Are you? <laughs> that sounds insane to me. There is a doctor, Mark Hyman, Dr. Mark Hyman. Maybe you're familiar with him. If you're listening to this podcast, I imagine you know who Dr. Hyman is. He is wonderful. He's a physician. He is a functional medicine doctor. He's got a podcast called The Doctor's Pharmacy with an F. I listen to him. He's also an instructor for the Institute of Functional Medicine, one of my instructors. I love him. Um, he's written numerous best-selling books. You need to follow him if you don't already. He is the guy to know. He said it best when it comes to antibodies. We shouldn't have antibodies against our own body, even at low numbers. This is not normal, okay? It's not normal to make antibodies against your own tissue. Depending on the lab, it may be, let's say less than 25 or 30 is normal. No level of antibodies is normal. What are some of the signs and symptoms of Hashi's well, all of the signs and symptoms of hypothyroidism, okay? Fatigue, brain fog, weight gain, cognitive impairment, increased cholesterol like your LDL and triglycerides because we need that T3 to bind. We need T3 so LDL can dock and get it out of the bloodstream. You can have elevated CRP, a marker for inflammation. That makes sense. If you have inflammation going on in your body, probably your CRP is going to be elevated. You could have dry skin, hair changes, like thin or falling out, cold intolerance, infertility, heavy menstrual cycles, joint pain or stiffness, a goiter, it's an enlarged thyroid. I developed what's called a multi-nodular goiter at the beginning of this year. And then the ultrasound showed I had these large, very, very suspicious lesions on my thyroid. So it wasn't just a goiter. I had a lot of difficulty swallowing. I kept clearing my throat. Um, I always ask a woman who has hypothyroidism if she feels like something is in her throat because maybe her thyroid is enlarged. And that thyroid guy, that cancer specialist that I was sent to in the beginning of this year that told me the thyroid would never cause problems swallowing. Maybe it was all in my head. He's wrong, okay? Of course, the thyroid can cause trouble swallowing. I wasn't able to eat solid food for about a month, and I lost 20 pounds. And I felt terrible. Thank God the doctor that I work very closely with me is so wonderful, and she advocated for me. Because I got to tell you folks, yeah, I'm a nurse practitioner and I'm a very pushy individual. I was not getting anywhere with my with myself as a patient 
in this healthcare system. And I was, I was, um, all of the wind was out of my sails. It was a very difficult time for me. And I kept thinking about all of the people out there that have healthcare concerns and nobody's listening to them. Maybe they don't have a healthcare background and they don't even know what to ask for. Keep pushing. Keep pushing until you find somebody that will listen. That's like some of the best advice I could give you is don't give up on yourself. Okay? You know yourself better than anyone. If you don't feel well, it's real. It's real. And somebody just has to f- help to figure out why. But this wonderful doctor that I work with pushed and pushed to, to get people to hear me and made phone calls. And um, I'm very grateful for her. Part of me wanted to just stick my head in the sand, except I couldn't because I, I could not swallow solid food. It was terrifying. I don't have cancer, so I am very grateful about that. How could I have been better managed? You know, I think about that because I want to make sure I'm managing my patients better. Speaking of management, managing hypothyroidism is essential because (laughs) we might feel like shit, okay? We have an increased risk for cardiovascular disease. Remember, LDL is high because of the T3. You might get an enlarged heart. I believe in testing at least yearly if your levels are stable. And when I do this, I also test antibodies. Testing may need to be more frequently if your levels are not stable, if you don't feel well. The soonest I would check just regular thyroid panel would probably be four to six weeks. And for antibodies, I would say give it at least six months because they can take a really long time to get back to to back down. They can take a long time. I don't even have a thyroid anymore and my antibodies are still high. I asked several physicians about this, like, why are my antibodies so high? And I was asking the wrong people, apparently, because they're like, again, you're just plagued with autoimmunity. That's why. One of my professors at the Institute of Functional Medicine, Dr. Ludkaser, he's brilliant. Love him. His theory was a feed-forward cycle. And this really makes a lot of sense. I'm already on a trajectory. So my body was already making these antibodies, right? So, and it's, it's, I'm on a, like I'm going down the road in a car, okay? And I'm flying down the road making all these antibodies. Well, now you yank my thyroid out. It's going to take a minute for the body to catch up with that because it's still going forward. That makes a lot of sense to me. I will check my antibodies again, but I'm going to give it at least another six months. There is pretty interesting research around selenium and associated selenium deficiency and Hashimoto's disease and worsening antibodies. I've said this before. I will repeat it because I believe it it is worth repeating. A food-first approach is definitely preferred. So instead of going out and buying selenium supplements because of what I'm saying right now, eat Brazil nuts. <laughs> Brazil nuts are actually, the, the they have the highest amount of selenium. So just a couple, like two to three Brazil nuts, you're good for the day. I do recommend doing that unless, of course, you're allergic to Brazil nuts. But try to get your levels optimized through food. And prior to doing any supplementation, I would recommend having your selenium levels checked because you actually can have selenium toxicity. But I was I was very excited about this, this research around selenium. They say it can take six months to a year for the antibodies to go down, but that antibodies come down. So that's very exciting because again, it's not the antibodies that are causing the the destruction, it's the immune system's response. So if we bring the antibodies down, the immune system can relax. So that's what I want. Gluten-free, possibly dairy-free can be very, very helpful. I definitely believe gluten-free, but dairy also, I mean, dairy is, can be very inflammatory and it makes me sad because I love cheese. And sometimes I feel like I have 
I have so many restrictions as it is. So maybe that means I just eat dairy every once in a while as a treat. Maybe I eat it for a holiday in a piece of gluten-free cheesecake, hopefully made with monk fruit and not too much of that sugar. You know how I feel about that. But if, if it's only one piece or a small piece, it's okay. Okay. As long as there's no gluten, then it's okay. But you got to get to know your body and work with a practitioner that can help. Working with a nutritionist can be really helpful. If you don't have the means to work with a nutritionist, then try eliminating dairy for about a month. See how you feel. Are your symptoms better? Is your joint pain reduced? Um, I know I still, I will get joint pain with dairy, but not if I eat it very infrequently. But if I go on (laughs) a bender, is that the word? (laughs) And just start consuming a whole bunch of dairy, I will feel horrible. If I only have it occasionally, I seem to be okay. So you could always take it out and then introduce it a little bit at a time and see how you feel. I do believe we can put autoimmunity in remission. It may come down to our mindset. There is a strong connection between the brain and autoimmunity. You can feel horrible with lots of anxiety and your autoimmune condition is is worse. It's flaring because of that. The things that we tell ourselves, the self-care that we that we practice, are we getting enough sleep? Are we getting enough downtime? Are we surrounding ourselves with supportive people or are we in a toxic relationship? They can have a massive effect on our autoimmune status. It can perpetuate this situation to begin with. It could be that last piece of the Jenga that pushes us over and, and opens that door to autoimmunity. It can also cause flares. So I prioritize myself every day now, and I've never done that before. I always thought that would mean I was really selfish. Now I see I have to prioritize myself and engage in self-care and work out. I don't do strenuous workouts every day. I have learned to back those up because they were causing too much stress on my body and and jacking up my cortisol and messing me up. But I do have movement every day and we'll put, you know, strength training in a couple, two to three times a week, a couple days, two to three times a week of a HIIT workout or a run. But I prioritize this time I have a sleep routine. I love using essential oils right now on my desk. I actually just purchased one of those Himalayan salt lamps. And this one is, it's really cool. It's got um, a little glass dish that sits on top of it and you put your essential oil in the dish. So it's not actually diffusing it, but it, it is like with the heat of the lamp it's just, it smells wonderful over here. And I can just feel my stress just slipping away, which is where we want it to go. Other things are to manage our microbiome. Our microbiome has a direct influence with our thyroid regulation. Our microbes also have an effect on our vitamin and mineral absorption. So we obviously need a healthy microbiome, If you're taking acid blockers, steroids, NSAIDs, if you're drinking a lot of alcohol, if maybe you're eating a lot of sugar, which can be very disruptive to the microbiome, maybe you are um, eating a lot of consuming products with artificial sweeteners or sugar alcohols, which can also be very disruptive to your microbiome. It's going to have an effect on your thyroid regulation. There is so much data out there that shows if you can reduce gut issues, if you can heal your gut, if there's something going on with it, we should always think about our gut if we have chronic pain or other symptoms, diseases, what is our gut like? If we can heal our gut, we can put, maybe we can put our Hashis into remission from doing that. So we're not constantly sending that signal. Another interesting fact, there's a medicinal plant called Nigella sativa. 
It's also called black cumin seed. It is not affiliated with cumin seed, like the what you think of wonderful spice is not the same, not the same flavor at all. It is loaded with antioxidants, anti-inflammatory, and immune modulatory properties. But the research here is showing that this plant can impact our weight, so it can reduce our BMI, our body mass index. It can impact our TSH, so it can reduce our TSH levels and reduce our antibodies, put our levels in a preferential range with at least eight weeks of use. So I bought some of this Nigella sativa, and I haven't cooked with it yet, although it has a very interesting flavor. I I honestly am not really sure how to describe it because it doesn't taste like anything else I've ever had. It is strong. So I grind it and I put just like a, a pinch, not even a fourth of a teaspoon in my morning smoothies. Any more that I put in, it will be, it'll be too noticeable, but I do put a pinch of this in my smoothie and I love a food first approach. They do have supplements on black human seed, but again, starting with our diet is gentler. These supplements, they have to be processed by our body. They're going into our digestive system. They have to be managed there. That's one of the reasons why I prefer just to do a little bit at a time, just a little bit at a time. Another interesting fact, metformin, the drug that's commonly used for diabetes, also has been prescribed for PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome. They've they've done some research. Now it's on mice and in vitro, so we need human studies here, but that it can actually reduce the infiltrating immune system because it reduces lymphocyte infiltration to the thyroid gland. That's very interesting. I'm interested in in further research. One of my absolute favorite things to do, sometimes I have to actually turn it down because I can work myself too much because I am in the literature and I want to know what is going on, what clinical trials are happening, what is the latest information because I want the newest most evidence-based information for myself and for my patients. This has been a very, in my opinion, interesting and wonderful topic. I talk about this a lot in my practice as I have diagnosed Hashimoto's disease in, I think, 48 women. I appreciate you listening today. Know that if you are suffering from this autoimmune condition or any autoimmune condition, you're not hopeless. Okay, we can put our autoimmune conditions into remission. And if you feel like you're spiraling out of control and you're very symptomatic and no one is listening to you, keep pushing. Keep pushing until you find that practitioner that hears you. It can make all the difference in the world. But whatever you do, Don't give up on yourself. I love you guys. If you haven't already, follow me over on Instagram at the Functional Nurse Practitioner, and I will see you guys very soon.